U.S. President Joe Biden said his country would, quote, respond if Taiwan were attacked or invaded. Speaking to ABC News, Biden again defended the exit of American troops from Afghanistan. He also responded to claims that the U.S. was an unreliable ally. He said the U.S. has kept every commitment it's made. He also said the U.S. would respond in the event of an attack on its NATO allies or on Japan, South Korea or Taiwan. The statement appears to deviate from the U.S. policy of strategic ambiguity in which it stops short of saying whether or not it will defend Taiwan. Later that day, a senior White House official appeared to walk back Biden's words, saying that the U.S. policy on Taiwan has not changed. After the U.S.'s pullout from Afghanistan, the Taliban quickly took control of the country, plunging it into chaos. Chinese state media was quick to say that the U.S. cannot be relied on and that Taiwan would be abandoned by the U.S. in the event of a conflict. Abandoning its allies in favor of its own interests has been the inferior nature of the U.S. since the time of its founding. Will the next one to be abandoned by the U.S. at a crucial moment be Taiwan? Biden's security adviser Jake Sullivan pushed back at the charge on Tuesday, reiterating the U.S.'s commitment to Taiwan. Biden did the same in an interview with American broadcaster ABC. Biden described Afghanistan as fundamentally different from Taiwan, South Korea and NATO countries, which he said are not in the midst of civil wars like Afghanistan was. He said that the U.S. has always kept its promises and that the U.S. would respond if anyone were to invade or attack NATO countries and that it would do the same for South Korea, Japan and Taiwan. This, right this was Biden's clearest statement on the issue of Taiwan's defense since he assumed office. On Thursday, the U.S. Department of State reiterated that peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait was core to U.S. interests. Uh, we do have an abiding interest in peace and security across the Taiwan Strait. Uh, we consider this central to the security and stability uh, of the broader region, of the broader uh, Indo-Pacific. Uh, events elsewhere in the world, whether that's in Afghanistan or any other region, uh, are not going to change that. Vincent Chow, former politics director of the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office, said Biden's statement clearly underscored the importance of Taiwan to the U.S. Biden placed Taiwan together with South Korea and Japan. They are of similar importance to the U.S. They are of similar security interests. I think this reflects that the U.S. has positioned Taiwan at the same level as that of its traditional allies. Military affairs expert Liu Li sure said that foreign affairs were a core interest of the Biden administration. Biden's statement shifts away from the U.S. policy of strategic ambiguity and heads toward one of strategic clarity, Liu said. China has objected to an upcoming Taiwan-Japan dialogue on security issues. According to Japanese news reports, the Liberal Democratic Party plans to convene an online dialogue with Taiwan's ruling party. At a routine press conference, China's foreign ministry said it was opposed to official exchanges between the two sides and it warned Japan to proceed carefully. Analysts say that if the dialogue proceeds smoothly, it will mark a breakthrough in Taiwan-Japan relations. First, I would like to say that Taiwan is a part of China. China is resolutely opposed to diplomatic allies having official exchanges of any kind with Taiwan. In a routine press briefing, China's foreign affairs spokeswoman reiterated that Taiwan belongs to China and that Beijing was opposed to official Taiwan-Japan exchanges. 
She was reacting to reports that Taiwan and Japan plan to convene virtually over security issues. According to Japanese reports, the Liberal Democratic Party plans to convene security talks with Taiwan's ruling party. Japan had initiated the meeting and proposed that it be held in a two-plus-two format, involving two representatives from each side. The virtual talks will be held as early as this month. Japan's Liberal Democratic Party and Taiwan's DPP will convene a two-plus-two security and defense dialogue for parliamentarians. We welcome this kind of initiative. We believe that this form of parliamentary exchange is very good, and we sincerely welcome it. We all know that Japan has a parliamentary system of government, so talks between Japan and Taiwan's ruling parties are essentially talks between two governments. This is a security meeting, so its participants might be foreign and defense ministers, engaging in a format known as 2 plus 2. Or the security dialogue might be conducted by relevant members of parliament. Either way, it will have far-reaching significance. At the meeting, Japan will be represented by Sato Masahisa, foreign affairs director of the Liberal Democratic Party. The other representative will be Otsuka Taku, the party's national defense division director. On the Taiwan side, the DPP is expected to send lawmakers specializing in foreign affairs and defense. It has not yet announced its representatives. But sources say the party is likely to choose Luo Zhizhen, secretary general of the DPP caucus, along with a foreign affairs specialist in the legislature. Taiwan and Japan are expected to discuss ways to promote exchanges as well as security issues affecting the region. If the 2 plus 2 dialogue takes place, it would be the first between Taiwan and Japan, marking a milestone in bilateral ties. <laughs> In the past, Japan and its Liberal Democratic Party have always engaged diplomatically with Taiwan through its Bureau for Youth Affairs. With other countries, Japan would use its Bureau for International Affairs. It used the Youth Bureau with Taiwan out of a deep respect for China's feelings. But this time, it skipped right over the International Affairs Bureau and gone straight to direct dialogue among security officials. This is a tremendous breakthrough. Sato has long been known for his support of Taiwan. This year, ahead of the G7 summit, he urged Japan's prime minister to establish a forum to promote Taiwan-Japan parliamentary diplomacy. He's also said that Taiwan's stability is vital to Japan's national defense and economic security. Bookings for the Medigen vaccine closed at noon on Friday. This round was open to waitlisted adults aged 20 and older. Now, nearly 600,000 people have an appointment to get vaccinated with the Taiwan-developed vaccine starting next Monday. In related news, the health minister says Taiwan will seek recognition of Medigen from U.S. authorities. Of course, we will strive for the relevant recognition of this vaccine because the U.S. also holds Medigen in high regard. It was research shared by the U.S.'s National Institutes of Health that led to the development of this vaccine. Health Minister Chen Shizhong met with AIT Director Sandra Oddkirk on Wednesday. Chen said they discussed vaccine policy and the mutual recognition of vaccines. They also discussed potential cooperation on vaccine production, he said. Turning now to the vaccination campaign. So far, nearly 40 percent of Taiwan's population has received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine. But only 3 percent of the population has gotten a full two-dose course. With the fall season approaching and the Delta variant looming, experts say it's crucial to get more people fully vaccinated. 
Early Friday morning, the market is bustling compared to its subdued activity under level three, but shoppers say they're still leery of venturing too far from home. All children are unvaccinated, and there's no telling when the next vaccine shipment will come. Not only that, fall is coming, and with it, flu season. It could be the perfect storm for Delta to gain a foothold. Right now, we have a good sense of how effective a single dose of Moderna is. Going up against the Delta virus, that protection goes down to anywhere between 60 and 70 percent. We have already extended the interval between Moderna doses. After half a year, protection will drop more. Older adults with poor immunity and comorbidities should get both doses as soon as possible so that they're protected in the fall and winter seasons. As of Thursday, more than 9.26 million people have received one dose of a COVID vaccine, but only about 740,000 have received a full two-dose course. Since ending its remote work policy, Thai Power has reported a cluster infection at its Taipei office. Children go back to school soon, and experts fear this too could give rise to cluster infections. Experts warn that stretching the interval between vaccine doses could lead to problems. During that interval, antibody levels gradually decline. The rate of decline varies from person to person. So far, not that many Delta cases have entered Taiwan, but it's hard to say. Another slip-up or case of illegal immigration could put great strain on our COVID prevention resources. The physician said that dialysis patients and cancer patients may suffer most from a long vaccination interval. With only 3% of Taiwan fully vaccinated, it's unclear what impact a Delta outbreak could have. Taiwan has detected 12 new Delta variant infections among the imported cases reported since last Friday. Three of them were so-called breakthrough cases, which can infect people who are fully vaccinated. Let's hear from a CECC official. Twelve cases from the past week were confirmed as Delta cases today. We didn't find any other variants among the imported cases. Among these 12 cases, nine had already received one or two shots of a vaccine. Three of those nine can be considered breakthrough cases. These three were people who had received two shots of the Moderna vaccine and who developed COVID symptoms 14 days or more after their second shot, or who are asymptomatic. To date, Taiwan has detected 67 cases of the Delta variant. 13 of them are local cases and are part of a cluster that broke out in Pingdong this June. Besides these 13 cases, the CECC has conducted genetic sequencing on several dozen other local cases since July 2nd. All of them involve the Alpha variant. A Tainan woman has lost her fight against the railway bureau to keep her house. Police forcefully pulled her and other protesters out of her four-story house on Friday so that demolition crew could move in. The woman was the last holdout in a decade-long expropriation undertaking initiated by the railway bureau. At roughly 3 in the morning, a large group of police officers gathered outside Huang Chunxiang's home. Inside, protesters had set up camp. A standoff ensued, lasting until sunrise. Then the police moved in to clear the crowd. Police barged into the apartment and began lifting the students who were sitting on the floor, arms linked in protest. 
The students gathered on the second floor were cleared out one after another. Others were hiding on the third and fourth floors. Working with construction crew, police used a hydraulic crane to get people down. Huang, the home's owner, sat by the second floor window and called out to police. Around 7.30 in the morning, police escorted her out, supporting her as she walked. You people didn't deal with this properly. How are you going to tear this place down? You haven't heard the last of it from me. I'll haunt you when I'm dead. I'm so angry, I'm shaking. We've talked to them calmly, but they just talk rubbish. They just trick people. It's all lies, lies. Tainan's railway underground project was approved by the executive yuan in 2009. The project required the forced demolition of 340 properties. Some of their owners refused to vacate, despite promises of compensation. For years, fierce conflict ensued between police and property owners. The controversy sent approval ratings plunging for then-Tainan Mayor Lai Qingde. This is definitely the hardest thing I've had to deal with since taking office, but I still need to face it with equanimity. Removing the project's final holdout, police cleared the way for railway construction, bringing a decade-old struggle to a close. Veteran movie director Li Xing died in Taipei on Thursday due to heart failure. He was 91. A small vigil will be held for friends and relatives. A larger funeral will be held at a later date. Li was best known for his 1964 film Beautiful Duckling and the 1978 work He Never Gives Up. He holds three Golden Horse Awards for Best Director, as well as the Golden Horse Lifetime Achievement Award. Taiwan's changing family demographics are a hot topic. Many women are waiting longer to have children than ever before. For some, by the time they decide to have a child, they need medical support. But IVF is no sure bet. Statistics show that less than 10% of pregnancies for mothers over 46 result in a live birth. However, things are changing. We met one mother who's just had her first child at 47. After five years trying, Ms. Drong delivered a healthy baby at the age of 47. Her child was born a robust 3,500 grams. It was so miraculous, incredible to see my baby born naturally. A mother will never forget that moment, especially how the very first thing is the nurse brings the baby to your chest. The love you feel when those big eyes look at you. Ms. Drong gave everything to make it happen. She had lost two embryos through failed IVF attempts, which are painful, invasive procedures. After six months jogging and attending to her health following doctor's advice, she conceived again. First, we allow the embryo to grow five days in a lab until it is formed of at least 200 cells. Then we take up to 10 cells to test and see whether it is healthy or not. That way we can avoid implanting lots of embryos that will not be successful. The endometrium does not shed completely or get completely cleaned out. Usually our first step when a patient enters the clinic is to clean it out, along with any inflamed tissue and remaining blood clots. Only then do we look at how to help the patient regenerate the endometrium. With the help of both traditional and Western medicine, Ms. Drong was able to have her baby successfully, even in her late 40s. Now, she says, she wants to try and give her baby a sibling. 
The Council of Indigenous Peoples has published a new book, The Origins of the Austronesians. Based on research from academic linguists, the book sheds light on Taiwan's importance in the history of Austronesian languages. It is the first work of its kind to be published in an English-Chinese bilingual edition. Indigenous youth liven up the book launch with a modern dance performance. Published by the Council of Indigenous Peoples, The Origins of Austronesians collects papers from the 2019 International Austronesian Languages Revitalization Forum. Linguists say the publication will be a major source for the field. This to me, the what's called the Austronesian expansion out of Taiwan to halfway around, more than halfway around the world, 206 degrees of longitude from Madagascar to Easter Island or Rapa Nui. Uh, this is one of the great chapters in human history. Linguists are in agreement that the oldest location for Austronesian languages that can be traced was Taiwan. Judging by clues found in languages, archaeology, genetic sequencing, and even botany, linguists believe that 5,000 years ago, the family of Austronesian languages was born in Taiwan. Taiwan's indigenous people only represent 2.4% of our population, but across academia, scholars believe Taiwan is the key site for the origin of Austronesian languages. That's a big reason why we've published our new book, The Origins of the Austronesians, today. It accounts for the book's enormous significance. The bilingual publication features scholarship from multiple fields in both Chinese and English, the first work to explore Taiwan's Austronesian roots in such depth and breadth. Since level three was lifted, everyone has been looking for ways to get out of the house and lift their spirits. For anime fans, there are lots of new destinations that offer a new way to celebrate their favorite stories. From Sailor Moon cafes to Naruto ramen shops, Taipei is bursting with fun for fans. An array of Sailor Moon cakes on display, with colored sweets representing every Sailor Guardian. Soft drinks are decorated with bows, and macarons are dressed in multicolor Sailor suits to match their flavors. These cupcakes adorned with moon cookies have whipped up a frenzy on Instagram. They're so cute. The coasters, too. I'm happy there's a cafe like this, and now the lockdown is over. We only officially launched when Level 2 began. We wanted to give Taiwanese people their own Sailor Moon Cafe, so they don't have to go abroad to Hong Kong or Japan. We wanted to give fans a place in this anime and self-care market where they can recharge spiritually and get some positive energy. The self-care industry has boomed since Level 2 began, and anime lovers are a big demographic. Here, they can cosplay as Sailor Moon herself and drink pink tea. Or why not visit a ninja village belonging to another universe? Peeking behind the curtain, steam rises from giant noodle pots. It's a classic Naruto scene in real life. The protagonist's favorite dish, miso soup, is on the menu naturally. The drinks are inspired by the story too. I saw it in an anime and it's in Taipei, so I wanted to come and see. 
They've brought back some scenes from the anime. I love it. We spotted one costumed Naruto eating ramen, as well as a famous YouTuber who had come to pay homage to his passion. I'm a professional otaku. You can see what I'm wearing. Yeah, I love it. I thought originally I'd just take a look, but I couldn't stop myself. There was just so much here. Aside from themed cafes, 12 anime brands have come together to create an Akihabara for Taipei to tempt anime fans back out from their homes. Outdoor leisure pursuits are allowed again, and demand is high for COVID-secure vacations in the great outdoors. The caravan industry has benefited from the COVID shakeup of tourism. Many vacationers feel safer in their own vehicle, distance from other families, than they would in a hotel. Let's head to Mel Lee to find out more. Welcome to the caravan. From the lawns out the window to the skylight overhead, it's got everything you need. At night, you can open the skylight and lie in bed to stargaze. If that's not enough, this gadget brings the constellations right inside the vehicle. There's a skylight here and you can watch the stars. If the weather's no good or if it rains, you can also project stars on the walls. Guests let out sighs of delight when they breathe in the fresh air and see the green lawn stretch out. Hotels suffered a tsunami of cancellations when the pandemic worsened in May. Many were losing millions of dollars monthly. But at this caravan site in Miali, midweek bookings have exploded. A caravan in the fresh air suddenly seems like a great option. I've never stayed in a caravan before. I thought I'd come and give it a try. This is a great place to avoid the pandemic. You can let off steam and take rejuvenating walks. So we have very high booking rates for our caravans right now. Caravans offer a great way to get close to nature and distance from other holidaymakers without fuss. The pandemic has upended everyone's plans this summer, but for this industry, it's a windfall.